Good morning. And happy Mother's Day. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That's his name. That's also a prayer. And you might have just heard it in Isaac's um, in prayer. He was praying the names of God. He used names like El Shaddai. Did you hear that? Shalom. El Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. Every one of those names of God in Scripture are also prayers. You've prayed them. Sometimes when you had nothing else, you could pray. Like Father. Or Jesus. And Holy Spirit. Do you know him? Holy Spirit. I want you to think of some Bible words that are used for his activity in Scripture. Holy Spirit. Language is used like he fills, he empowers, he heals. And then words like he pours himself out. He anoints. He stirs in Habakkuk. He's the stirring spirit. Stop for a second and think of just two of those words. Just think of, think of the word pour and anoint. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and all through the scriptures, like right from the book of Genesis and through the Pentateuch and through the, the prophets, you'll hear him introduced as this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that language is used. And he's described as pouring himself out, filling you, anointing. In the Bible, anointing is something poured over, oil poured over you, and it's supposed to have been a pleasant experience through your beard and everything. It doesn't sound all that pleasant, but it is that. And I want you to picture that for a second. Holy Spirit filling you. It's a word picture in Scripture. Can you picture it? If he's filling you, then what's being unfilled? And if he's pouring over you, what is that doing? And if he's pouring through, what's that doing? What's he doing? The hope for the church, the hope for you and me, moving beyond some sort of religiosity, moving beyond stuckness, moving into something alive, is Holy Spirit. Have you heard, um, have you heard the phrase spot fires? Have you heard that? You'll, if you listen to um, uh, Rebuilders, it's a podcast, really good podcast. They did an interview with, um, with this fellow, Peter Grigg, 24-7. Have you heard that? He's the uh, founder of 24-7 International Prayer. He, uh, he described spot fires, and he said, um, you all in North America think that the United States is kind of the center of the world, he said. And he's British. He said, it's not, just so you know. He just said it much nicer than that. But he said, Asbury, have you heard what happened in Asbury? There's this really cool thing going on in Asbury Seminary, which, by the way, is us, right? It's Free Methodist, just so you know. Part of, we're part of that Asbury Seminary. And God just did something at Asbury where people were just, and for weeks, people just stayed in this chapel and prayed and received this, what they described this pouring out of the Spirit into their lives. But he said, just so you know, it's not the only place this is happening. And he described Peru and Lebanon and Australia as other places. He was specifically speaking about these places that God was doing something special all over the world. Did, 
Did you know that uh, the Free Methodist Church in January, we called for a week of prayer, and, uh, and uh, it was supposed to be just lunch hours for a week, and at the end of the week, they said, can we go Saturday too? And sure, why don't you do Saturday too? So it was national, it was on Zoom, you're all welcome to it. And so for those six days, we prayed, and at the end of that week, they said, can we do next week until the end of January, and then to the next, and we celebrated just a couple weeks ago, a hundred days of this, staying six days a week, every lunch hour for 30 minutes nationally. A couple hundred people have been, over time, there's about 20 people consistently that are just praying for us, for you and me. There's this kind of cool thing going on. I think directly related to that are the stories I'm hearing. I'm hearing about people coming to know Jesus in our churches. I'm hearing about baptisms and memberships. I was at, a, we've done four uh, prayer healing services in different little churches. Have you heard of Flinton? Do you know where Flinton is, Ontario? Right near Cloyne? Do you know where Cloyne is? Right near Parham and kind of that area? No? M near Madoc? Nothing? Where are you, from Ontario? What are you... Flinton, a little church, they had this prayer service, and we prayed with people. At the end of the service, they had tables all set out, and we were just having lunch, a couple of us, and, and this, I'm, I'm not exaggerating what happened here. I was sitting down, and this lady came at me and went like this, and I didn't know if I was being cursed or something, you know, I, honestly, that's how she came, and she had a smile by the end of that when she got closer and closer, and what would you do if someone came to you like this? So I said, hi, and she, and she said, and she started smiling but crying at the same time. Do you remember me? I did, like it's a small church, right? So I remembered her for sure, but I didn't remember what we had prayed for. We had prayed for many people. They, they lined up for prayer. It was beautiful. And uh, she said, I was the one that had the stroke. I haven't been able to move my arm for a... Pretty cool, eh? And I think that's directly related to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit moving, stirring making the church, making you and I alive. And the question we're going to ask is, what does a spirit-filled you look like? And what does then a spirit-filled church look like? Where's the first time in the Bible that spirit-filled is used for God's filling, filling someone with his spirit? That, that language, do you know? If we were in a small group, it'd kind of be a fun conversation. The first place in the Bible where it's described as God filling someone and some of you are thinking, well, Adam, you know, he was, well, actually the word isn't filled there. It's the word spirit that's used and he spirited his spirit into the, his spirit of life into man and the man became alive. That's not filled. And the reason we ask, I'm giving you time to think it through, but not Google it on, on your phone. The reason we ask that question is to do good Bible study because Scripture is written that way. It's inspired by God and every word counts. And all these words, things that were written over here are connected, dots connected over here. And it's written that kind of beautiful Scripture. So we pay attention to that. And one of the things we pay attention to is asking questions like, well, if this is that kind of importance, spirit-filled, then let's, let's, let's study that. And where's the first mention of it? You ready to answer it now? You line, you got it? You got your Bible. Don't make eye contact. See, some of you stare me down, like I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask you. And some of you look down and say, just ask Mike. Just Mike knows. You got nothing? Judges? You're just randomly guessing? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> no. In the book of Exodus, actually we can put the verse up. Well, dad's wrong. <laughs> book of Exodus. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the, not the same Hur in the movie, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And you know what he's been called to do, this fella? He's a craftsman. And his job was to help create the tent of meeting. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but it's a really great study for you and I to, to say, what's the tent of meeting, which morphed into the temple before the people of God. So they've just left Egypt. And before they get land, before they get an army, before they have an, even a government, God said, I'm going to give you this, this tent of meeting. This is going to be central. And if you look at the location of the tent of meeting as they camped out on their journey towards the promised land, you'll see that it was central. And it was the place where they would be right with God. It was the place of hearing from him. It was the place of feasting. They would have feasts. It was the place of storytelling. Every part of the tent of meeting told the story. When you brought your sacrifice, that was a story. Why, why a sacrifice? And the ugliness of what was about to transpire when the priest took that. The smells and the, and the looks and, the, and all the senses were, were alive in that moment and told a story. And the blood. And then there were, there were beautiful art involved in the tent and you would know about it. And then there was an inner sanctuary, a holy of holies. And every piece of that told a story. A story that every person that came and was a part of would remember. And then Jesus came along and said, temples no longer need it. Because who's the temple now? You and me. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the storytellers, the keeper of that story. You're the place that people get to meet with God. You're the place where God will make things right with you and others. That's pretty cool responsibility. But not for now. What I just want you to hear is, why was this character filled with the Spirit of God in order to create this tent of meeting? What? Why? What was his responsibility in it? Was, was he responsible to make it holy? Was his art responsible to make it holy? Could God have just not said, hey, this rock from now on carried around and this is the place of meeting? Could have. He's God. He could have done anything he wanted. But he chose this man and other craftsmen. He filled them with his spirit because somehow and for some reason that's very important. And they were created and called... To make this space, what? Somehow they were a part of making it holy. And you're saying, no, no, God made it holy. He chose him. He filled him. Let me, let me try again. Let's try this. Do you lead your friend to Jesus? Do we use that language? We do. Do your prayers, do they count? When you pray, do your prayers do anything? When I prayed for my sister forever, you know, to meet Grant, did my prayers do anything? For sure, my prayers did that, right? I did that. Do your prayers count? The Bible says they do. The prayers of a righteous person affect, are powerful and affects much. Do you bless people? Are you responsible, to, or is it God blessing? What's the answer? And the answer is yes. God doesn't need you for your prayers. He doesn't need you for evangelism. He doesn't need you to bless. He's God. He can do anything in the world. We, we acknowledge that, right? We all agree? But somehow, he sees you as that kind of important that your prayers count, that your blessing is important, 
that you are invited to participate in his work in people's lives, and so you tell them about Jesus. Somehow, one of my favorite things that Jesus says to people when he's healing, it's one of my very favorite things. I love the line. Every time I read it, it, it melts me a little bit. He says this to people after he heals them, or as he's healing them, he says, I want you to go now. Your faith has made you well. And that person's walking away, and he's saying, wait a second. My faith made me well? Was that some sort of new age thing that just transpired? Who made him well? Or who made her well? Jesus had. So why in the world did he say, your faith made you well? Because that's how he rolls, right? He gives you that kind of value, that kind of responsibility. Your prayers count. Your faith counts. You, spirit-filled, are called to make that kind of difference. And so renewal, which Isaac prayed for, I don't know where he went, but the renewal that we pray for, you have a function in that. You and I have to posture ourselves or put ourselves in a position to, to participate in what God wants to do in this community, in your family, in your own life even. Personal renewal comes with you posturing yourself. Now, if we were around a table together and I said, so what, how do you... How do you move towards holiness? What are the things that need to be true? I'm guessing if we were around a table together, one of the first things you would say was, well, we have to pray, right? Would you say that? I'm going to ask you some other things. So, but let's start with prayer. So prayer, and we would all agree that for sure prayer is a part of that. Every renewal that we have on record historically um, started with some sort of story of people praying, travailing prayer or prevailing prayer. This group of the Welsh Revival was a group of older women sitting in their church saying, why are there only older women sitting in this church? And so they went into this, this uh, I guess it was a couple years of praying all the time together that God would do something miraculous. And that, out of that came this Welsh, a bunch of kids were playing outdoors and they led them to Jesus and, you know, it changed a community. Literally, it changed a community work and schooling and marriages and family it just changed the community the south uh, india revival it was uh, a bunch of 12 year old boys that had heard a message and said well we can pray like that and for a year they prayed and then a hundred while well, their whole school came to know jesus that's kind of what happened there and out of that came a bunch of uh, leaders in india in that area and it just blossomed into thousands literally thousands of churches and we have these stories, this historical record of, of prayer that happened first. So we all agree that prayer would be part of, you want to get to know Jesus, you're going to pray, right? Can we start there? We agree with that. Second thing, if we were sitting around a table together, we would we'd say, well, it seems to me that personal renewal needs to involve confession and repentance, right? We, we better make sure our hearts are right with God. Agreed? That's, that's, that's low-hanging fruit too, right? We'd all agree that that's part of what happens. For sure. This Asbury thing that just went on. The, <laughs> I don't know if you heard anything about it, but the fellow that preached the sermon at the chapel that day, he's interviewed and he says, man, I don't understand this. The sermon was a stinker. That's how he said about himself. And he wasn't just being humble. It really was a stinker. Like it really, he wasn't on his game. He said he, I don't know all the reasons. And you don't even know his name. It really, the Asbury thing that just went on has nothing to do with any of the particular leaders involved. What happened was they had this service, there was a worship thing, and students started to leave, and professors said this, they went to class, they showed up at our classes, and they said, we, I, we just need to go back 
and do some more business. And we don't know. And so teachers were letting these students go back to and 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 it's described as very gentle and beautiful is how it's described. And they were just saying repentance, prayers, confession, prayers. And something beautiful about confession in the Bible is it's not private. Which makes us a little uncomfortable when I say that, eh? Bible says confess your sins when so you find that trusted person and you just walk through Lord I gotta I gotta do something with this you know a couple Carlene and I or a good friend and I would just sit down and say we just I'm not carrying this anymore and renewal revival always is preceded by repentance and confession it's always the case let me add two more that maybe wouldn't come up at our table talks first one is this I want to give you a word and I'd love to bring it I'd love you to bring it into your prayer time this week ready thirst thirst Ephesians has this powerful verse that says drink the spirit kind of a funny picture isn't it drink the spirit picture that what what's the Bible telling us to do drink the spirit picture that or Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Do you remember that one? If, if uh, listen, I, and she obviously was thirsting. She talked, he talked to her about the many relationships she's had and the one she's in now she's not married to. And, and, and she says, listen, he said, listen to her. Listen to me. Uh, if you drink the water I give, Spirit of God, you'll never thirst again. And you'll receive these rivers of living water bubbling up to eternal life. Or the other verse that, Paul writes, he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, this sense of drinking in, being filled with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Everyone is thirsty. It is a metaphor everyone understands. You are thirsty to belong. You are thirsty to be loved. You are thirsty to be heard. You're thirsty to be important. You're thirsty to make a difference. You're thirsty for the relationships you're in to work, right? We're thirsty. That's language we get, right? And God says there's one thirst that you need to begin with. And always renewal and revival is preceded by a people that recognize where their thirst really lies. It's a focused thirst. It's recognized that I'm thirsty here for God. Holy Spirit, fill me. Teach me what it is to drink you up. And then there's him then pouring himself in. It works a little bit like um, every one of us have done this. But moms, let me, let me talk to you. Newborn baby, right, grandma? Newborn baby. You're looking at her, and this baby is looking at you, and you're making eye contact. It's getting focused, right? And what face are you making to that baby? Like that? Never. You guys look very funny when you do it, too. Right? And you do this for weeks until what happens? Smiles back, right? And you're not sure whether it's gas, to be honest with you, right? But you'll take it, right? Still take it from my nieces. Whether it's gas or if it's real, we still take it, right? At some point, you have smiled a smile out of that baby, haven't you? You just... I, it happened to me in the airplane. Just the other... Last week. You know, I, I don't know if this is unsanctified or not, but you don't want a baby coming on the airplane, right? You just think, oh, please don't sit with me. Please keep going. Keep and she sat right there, you know, a most beautiful little baby. It was I was tired. And this baby, beautiful baby, 
just did this, you know, looking around like that, and I, 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 we made eye contact. And it was just staring me down. And what do you do when a baby? So I was reading, and I went like, and it's kept staring. And I did what all of us do. And the baby did what? Now, honestly, it was the baby that smiled the smile out of me. And it's exactly what spirit does in us. He keeps t paying attention to you and paying attention to you and smiling on you and loving you. And he's got this joy to bring into you and this peace to bring into you. If only we finally made eye contact with him and allow him to smile that smile out of us or into us. That joy into us, that peace into us, that hope into us. If only we were thirsty enough to look at him first. And renewal, personal renewal, and revival will come when the church is finally thirsty enough for God. One last one. You're not going to like this word. It's probably the least likely word you're going to use when you tell people what you talk about in church. It's the word obey. Right? You know, probably don't tell your friends, like, I just obey God. That, that's not language that rolls off our tongue. Obedience is just not a word that we're, we're all comfortable with all that time, right? It just sounds like something, you know, hammering down on us. So if you don't like the word obey, which I think is, well, Jesus uses that word. Let me use another word Jesus used, and you decide between the two. Ready? Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, then take up your instrument of death, painful, persecuted death, and follow me. So you choose. That or obedience. <laughs> obedience, right? Or cross. Take up your cross, this instrument of death. I want you to follow me fully. Surrender yourself fully. And always, with every revival that we have historically, you know what happens as a result of people beginning to pray and to confess and repent and to, and to um, come to this place of, what was the next one? Thirst. There's this awakening to Scripture. Carlene referred to it just a few moments ago. In Nehemiah, there was this Josiah reform, maybe one of the first revivals on record. And you know what happened? They discovered the Word of God. They built this tower. They stood on the tower so that everyone could hear, and they just read the Bible to those that were present. And there was breaking around them, people just saying, this is what we want, this is what's true, this is what's right. In a time of revival, there's not pushback on script. There's lots of scripture verses you and I don't like, right? Like forgiveness. We don't like that. If you're mad at someone right now, you do not want me to tell you that you have to go. The Bible says so. Make things right with them, right? You're thinking, yeah, well, I'll make that. I'll be the, right? <laughs> or tithing. Who likes that? It's pretty clear in scripture. It's not just a verse that Mike pulls out because he wants it to increase here. It's there. <laughs> Test me in this, he even says. We don't like it. And there's other passages that we don't like that speaks into our culture, into us. But personal renewal, revival, always involves us saying, the word of God is true. He's a good father and he loves us. And what's there, properly understood, is healing and hopeful and alive making in your life. So obedience becomes a beautiful thing. You're finally listening to what it is that will make you alive, will make sense out of everything we're about. Holy Spirit, 
is actually the difference maker in all this. Spirit-filled you, spirit-filled church is one that is learning what it is to, to learn prayer. Can I give you that as the proper way to approach this? Let's be learners of prayer. Don't assume we've arrived. Don't assume the way you do it is going to be the only way. I love that we're including in our church family Isaac who prays differently than, I don't know, Mike or, or Julie is different than, you know, whoever. Because all over the world you'll discover that all of us together approach the Father and we've got, we can learn from each other. And Spirit wants to teach us that much more. And personal revival, God becoming alive in you, happens always when you begin to sit down and you just take stock of what's going on. If the Spirit's talking to you about something that's going confess it. Sit down with a friend and say, I, I don't want to hold on to this anymore. And there's confession and repentance. And then you move into the next, which is this thirsting. Do I thirst for God? What do I thirst for? Do I drink the Spirit? What's that look like? Because renewal will happen in your life as you understand your thirst. And then obedience. This word of God is alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword or a surgeon's scalpel. It'll, it'll speak into your life, life, this word of God. If only we would listen. If only we would listen. Holy Spirit, eh? Holy Spirit, would you pour your spirit out? That we would know you. Holy Spirit, that you would move and stir that you would fill. And we wouldn't just use words, but we would live fully into the word pictures here, Lord, what it is you want to do in my life. Holy Spirit, in power, give gifts. Because you have invited you, each of us to participate in your work in this world, in other people's lives. So was Bazel, Bazalel, Lord, invited to make that tent of meeting holy? He was. Because you've invited them to. And have you invited us to lead people to you? Have you invited us to pray? Have you invited us uh, to bless? Have you invited us to use our gifts of art and teaching and service and to make a difference? For sure you have. So today, Lord, I'm, I'm praying that you would teach us about our thirst. Would you teach us what it is to be obedient? to take up our cross and follow you for real. Because in that is life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.